once we have the valuation done, then we can really start having a discussion, a meaningful discussion about what their actual exit options are, because not all options are available to every business owner. From Rain Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. Business owners hear a lot about the importance of succession planning and exit planning, and for good reason. Your business is, in all likelihood, your largest and most valuable asset. If you aren't thinking about how to protect it, increase its value, and eventually leave it, you could end up with the short end of the stick where your liquidity, longevity, and legacy are concerned. Fortunately for business owners everywhere, there are people out there who can not only help you avoid some of the more serious exit planning pitfalls, they are certified experts in the area of exit planning and can help you identify and achieve your ideal exit planning scenario. Today, Mary Beth Kester, Principal and Director of Valuation and Transaction Advisory Services at Ray & Associates, is here to talk about what certified exit planning advisory services are and how they can help you plan, deploy, and manage your long-term succession and exit plans. Welcome to Unsuitable, Mary Beth. Thank you, Doug. Good to have you back again, as always. Good to be back. Thanks. So we hear so much in today's world about you know, the aging of the boomers and getting to the point where um, they're reaching, so many of them are reaching retirement age. Obviously, that goes for those that are business owners as well. Yes. So we have, I think you've shared some statistics in the past about the percentages of businesses that are predicted to transition in the next five or 10 years. It's think, astronomical. Yes. Right? It's somewhere, you know, north of $10 million of of assets being transferred Um so just a lot of activity out there right now and a lot of business owners looking for that liquidity event, um, trying to determine what the optimal exit looks like for them. Okay. So if if I'm a business owner and have thought about, you know, gosh, 10 years ago, I survived the the Great Recession, right? And I've had a maybe a good run here the last uh, five, seven, eight, eight years or so. What are some things that I should be doing to think about preparing myself for that eventuality? So I think, you know, there's two ways of looking at getting prepared for a liquidity event or for planning your exit strategy. Um, One is the business readiness side. Is the business ready uh, to go to a sale? The other piece is the attractiveness side. And what things can the business owner be working on today to prepare their business and make it the most attractive for potential buyer? There's a lot of ways that they can achieve that. I think starting off, you know, one of the things we always say is sometimes business owners wait for that triggering event to get the ball rolling. And while that might work out in the end, oftentimes they wish they would have started two, three, five years sooner mm-hmm. and and had a valuation of their company done, especially, you know, if they've never done one before, um, they might have a perception of value right. that can be somewhat skewed being, you know, so intertwined and involved in the business. And that perception of value might not uh, line up with the reality of the value. Right. So I think having a valuation done, you know, first and foremost, that really gets the ball rolling. Um, that that sets the stage for what the value of the business is today. And if there is a gap in value, you know, what uh, specific actions can the business owner take to minimize that value gap 
and get it closer to where they need it to be when they're ready to transition. Okay. So it gives you a benchmark, gives you a exactly. starting point in essence. And you're right. So so oftentimes I hear, you know, being in uh, say the construction segment, for example, you know, folks will say, well, you know, I, I have a peer group that I talk to and I have some sense of what their, uh, you know, valuation might be or how they have had their business value. And they think that applies to them. But that just because you're in the same segment doesn't really mean anything, right. right? And oftentimes it's, you know, they're hearing multiples that are thrown around. And and so they say, okay, well, if, you know, my friend was able to get five times or six times EBITDA, then that's probably what I'll get for my business. Right. And that may, that may in fact be the truth the case, but we don't know unless we, you know, dive into the financials and take a deeper look at what's going on in the business. And that, the financial piece is really just one part of the Mm -hmm. bigger picture of all the things that they can be working on. As it relates to the financials, having quality financials, ones that are reviewed um, or prepared by a a CPA firm with a strong reputation so that when they get into that process of due diligence and going down the path of exiting, We've got um, sound and consistent financial statements that we can rely upon that everybody feels good about, yeah. feels comfortable looking at. And that value, the value of that information holds regardless of whether they're looking at some internal sale to the management team or family members or Absolutely. any other type of transition, right? And there's a lot of value there outside of a transition of having quality consistent, right. sound financial statements, as you and I are both <laughs> very well aware. Right. Um, and you bring up a great point. There are so many options when it comes to exiting the business. So for some, it might be management buyout. Um, it might be a sale to a third party or, or sale to a private equity firm. It might make the most sense for selling to an ESOP. Mm-hmm. And if it's a family-owned business, then maybe gifting is the strategy. And for others, they have no interest in leaving the business whatsoever. So maybe their strategy is staying with the business, working in it, um, and just letting letting things uh, take the course that they may once yeah. they've... We, we've seen that too, <laughs> we right? We have. You know? Not the best option, but certainly one of them. Hope is not a strategy. No, and it's not. <laughs> sometimes at the end of the day, that's what, what, what you're left with. But, yes. But yeah, I think um, evaluation to me, I, I always want to have some type of benchmark, right? And so this allows me to benchmark not only externally, because you're obviously uh, doing a lot of work out there, seeing how companies are valued, um, how that's done. You go through a lot of obviously continuing ed and other things to understand that process. But it allows me, as you spoke of, to benchmark against myself and find out where I have gaps, that that value mm-hmm. gap that you spoke of. So that that's part of the process as well. Absolutely. I think going through the valuation process, it, it's a huge learning experience for the business owner. Um, it does identify areas where there is a value gap, and it also identifies not only the, the strengths of the company, but also the weaknesses and how do we mitigate and de-risk the company. Okay. So, for example, you know, I might be doing a valuation and, and there might be um, customer concentration. Mm-hmm. That's going to add a layer of risk to that particular company versus another company. And so that's something that the business owner can then work on trying to either expand service or product lines, um, do different things to try to minimize that customer concentration. Yeah. Um, Perhaps go get a, a, a lengthier contract with that customer even, which can help mitigate some of that yes. risk, things like or, that. E- or, or businesses that don't have 
customer contracts with any of their key customers, mm. you know, that can pose a level of risk as well. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, if that individual or key individuals aren't there, you wonder, can those client relationships stay in place? Exactly. And no matter who I am, if I'm internal uh, folks that are going to be transitioning into running the business or external, whatever, you're going to want to make sure that's in place, right? Exactly. What about operationally, things like that? You talk about, you know, we've talked about quality of financial information a little bit. Do you help identify uh, gaps there too, in terms of where you see things that maybe aren't best practice or? Sure. So sometimes there there might be a lack of internal controls or documented mm-hmm. processes and procedures. Perhaps the business doesn't really have a full-time acting controller or CFO, okay. someone who can really, um, who has the knowledge and the expertise in that area and can help drive the business and the business owner, you know, as it relates to the financials. Okay. Um, so for situations like that, it might make sense for the business owner to, you know, rely upon other professionals and advisors and and bring somebody in who can assist with some of those some of those areas. Sure. And I imagine it, it, with the client base we deal with, you know, closely held family run businesses, knowledge transfer is is always an issue too. It might be yes. concentrated with just a few folks and what talk about the risk there. Yeah, so that's, you know, that really plays into the level of management depth and who's being brought up the ranks and who understands how to really work the business and run the business. Yeah. Um so having a documented succession plan and transition plan in place and actually working the plan, not just having it written down, but really working the plan and bringing those family members or those key employees up in the leadership and management of the business early on so that it's not, you know, an overnight transfer of the reins, but it's really something that is um, done over time. Yeah. uh, Allows for the most successful type of transfer. And I think that's, but, you know, as, and we run into this a lot. If you think about a lot of entrepreneurs, they're, they're very successful. Many of them have a hard time letting go of some of that mm-hmm. control or knowledge. Um, I, I think that's a common thing that, that we see with those closely held businesses. Are there some techniques or things that you try to help with in, in terms of guiding them along that path to change that thinking? Start small, okay. but start. So, so pick a couple of um, responsibilities or things that you can delegate where you can kind of let go of control a little bit. Maybe there's still some oversight, but you give that person the opportunity to not prove themselves, but in a way prove themselves that they can handle it and they can take on that responsibility and demonstrate success in doing whatever that particular activity or, or thing is within the company and then keep giving a little bit more. Okay. Um, that's a that's a great point that you bring up. You know, when we're valuing a business and we see a company that is so owner dependent that the owner hasn't taken a vacation in three, four, ten right. years, feels like they can't walk away from the business ever because it'll crumble. I mean, that really hurts the value of the company. Right. Because all the value essentially is that a lot of the value in that person. And right. It's hard, you know, if they're not a part of it to the same extent, then what do you have? Right. So, yeah, that's that's a, obviously one we, we see quite a lot. So talk a little bit about the, the, the SEPA or the Certified Exit Planning Advisor role, something that, that you have gone through. Um, and something that you've gone through. <laughs> me, me as well and a few <laughs> others within our yes. firm. Talk about that what that means a little bit, like the three legs of the stool sure. and, and thinking 
more broadly. So I think a lot of the community or our clients might not recognize the term SEPA or the mm-hmm. designation. I think from a high level, what it means to me, it's a holistic approach mm-hmm. to working with our clients and helping them um, craft and execute the most ideal exit strategy. And how do they accomplish that? So the three legs right. of the stool, right? So it's the the business, the financial, and the personal legs, right. so to speak. So the business side, again, making sure that the business is is ready and prepared for that uh, transfer out of the business owner's hands and into the hands of someone else. But it's it's also recognizing that you have to incorporate with that plan, the personal financial plan mm-hmm. of the business owner, the financial plan of that business owner's family and how that's going to impact the right. family. And then the personal life of the owner, right. you know, what happens post-sale or post-exit. Right. We've been talking with a, a, some fellow SEPA right. folks and the the term that keeps coming up is relevance and yeah. and, li- and living a life of relevance beyond, beyond exiting your business. Yeah. So there's a lot of importance there and maybe it doesn't receive all the weight that it should, right. but talking to the owner and making sure that they're thinking about what that uh, next step of life looks like. Right. Yeah. Is, is really important. I, I agree with you. And so often that gets ignored. We have um, a client. In fact, we're going to have a, a panel event um, coming up later in February. The, this uh, owner who's a client, you know, it's something he didn't think about greatly. Now, he he went through a, a, a transaction where he remained in the business, but in a reduced role. So mm-hmm. even for that individual, it, now it's not maybe 70 hours a week where it's all absorbing it's it's maybe, you know, 35 or 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and he's got depth in management and other things. And still for him, I know he's commented, gosh, I feel like I have all this free time and I never really thought, you know, how do I manage and handle that? So that that personal thing, I think, is a, a huge part of the the mental acceptance and, and success that you can see there, right? There, There's certainly a psychological component to all of this. Yeah. Um, and particularly when when we're talking about family-owned businesses and multi-generations working within the business. Right. You know, what are the what are the dynamics going on within the family and and how do we work through those as we as we plan the succession plan yeah. for the family is really critical too. Yeah. It, it's amazing. I'm sure you see in in your work, you see all types of businesses. I know you've got some that are, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation. And some obviously newer. Talk about some of the the challenges that you see as you move along with those those generations, and maybe you get further removed from you know the original entrepreneur. Well, those relationships are really interesting, Doug. And I know you're familiar with some of the clients mm-hmm. that we've worked on from a valuation standpoint. One in particular that we're working with right now um, is in the fifth generation of family business owners. Wow. So you've got, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and then second cousins all the way down who are now the new business owners coming up the ranks. Wow. What's interesting is when they come up in the business at a very young age and they're used to seeing certain people running running the show, sure. so to speak. And then um and then it transfers, the ownership starts to transfer. There there can be some challenges sometimes with accepting who the new, you know, new owners are running the company. And even even the owners that are exiting, being able to truly exit. Right. <laughs> sometimes they come back in and it's every, you know, the the workforce still looks at that person as yeah. 
the boss. Yeah, that's I I know I'm I'm familiar with a, a an old client of mine, great company, been around quite a long time, and the patriarch uh, agreed to step away and let his children run the company, um, and they've done so very successfully. However, to your point, he was still there every day, and there was a certain element of the the workforce that still kind of looked at him. Mm-hmm. And so they finally had to have, quote unquote, the talk with him and said, stop coming into the office. You can't be here. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so yes. that's a difficult thing. But and, you know, why was he still like, still coming in every day? So maybe he maybe he just was, you know, so tied to the the business. And so many of them are. That's yeah. truly their their life and their business are one and the same. It's their friends, it's, right? It's their are, friends. They yeah. want to. Yeah. It's all that. Yes. So that's that's an interesting dynamic to it as, yes. as well. You know, the other the other piece of of what it means to to have a SEPA and and to um consult with clients from a holistic standpoint is really making sure that they've got the right advisors on their team yeah. and that there's a team approach from the beginning. The biggest thing that I think a lot of our clients fail to to recognize is the uh, time investment to accomplish from start to finish to accomplish the exit strategy and execute it. Yeah. Um, it takes so much more time than they're expecting and takes a lot of time and energy away from focusing on the business. Mm-hmm. And so it is so critical to have the right advisors in place to assist and navigate them through this process. So, you know, that's your valuation person, your CPA person, uh, could be your banker, your wealth uh, wealth advisor, Attorney. Your attorney. Yeah. Yeah. So having all those folks ready to give you a very holistic team approach to, you know, getting the work done is is really key. You bring up a great point. And I think that's um, something that we should really remind the business owners of. I mean, this can essentially be a full-time job to try to prepare yourself for that transition, right? Whether it's Absolutely. due diligence, all these types of things. Is that your your experience? Yes, yeah. Well, it's a full-time job for us when we're doing it. <laughs> so I can't imagine them trying to do it on their own while still running the business. And that's, you know, another important piece of it. While this process is going on and it's taking time, if it's sucking the time and energy away from the business owner and the business and the financials start to reflect that, mm. that could hurt them. You know, in their most critical, most recent year, you know, pre-sale to have revenues and profits dip is, is not what you want to yeah, see. Yeah, not, not ideal, right? Not ideal. Yeah. So talk about situations that you've seen that have been most successful. Do they they involve that kind of team all getting together with the business owner to, to discuss goals, et cetera? Yes. I think some of the most um, successful transactions, Doug, start with that first conversation with a, with a business advisor. Um, whomever that might be. And and that person is really the quarterback. Okay. So they have a conversation with the business owner, really gain a sense of the goals that the business owner has and what, you know, what objectives they are trying to achieve. And then assembles that team, pulls those other professionals and advisors, gets them around and in place. That might be structured in, you know, weekly or monthly meetings okay. to just keep the ball moving forward. But somebody who really quarterbacks the entire strategy and just keeps it moving forward for that business owner. Yeah, I think that's that's critical because otherwise stuff kind of gets lost in translation. If mm-hmm. you're not bringing everybody together, mm-hmm. then the owner might be talking separately with their with their CPA and and 
on the tax side or their attorney or, um, you know, their wealth advisor and getting different pieces from all those folks and trying to filter that back to all those mm-hmm. folks separately, stuff gets lost in translation, I think. It does. Yeah. And, and it duplicates efforts and it just, um, it's not efficient. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about one of the other things I know with the um, the, the SEPA is this sort of kind of a concept of liquidity, longevity, and legacy. I know we've had, we have folks, uh, Darlene uh, Finzer here internally, that focuses on legacy, family planning, and things like that. So talk about how we sort of maybe try to integrate all of those things from, from your perspective as somebody goes through thinking about uh, some type of succession or exit plan. So as it relates to that, yes, if they're going to be having a liquidity event, you know, how does the business owner and their families want to deploy that that wealth once once they receive it? Right. Um, so it could be in terms of philanthropy or you know donations and chair doing charitable acts. Right. It, it could be setting up certain you know college funds for the kids or whatever that might look like. But there are so many options, and so to your point. Um, working with somebody before that liquidity event happens and having right. a plan in place of what my options are, um, you know, what's going to be the tax impact, mm-hmm. what's going to be the take-home cash, and and then really how do I fund my life beyond exiting the business? Great point, right? What and what do I want? What do I need? What do I what want do I to... need? What do I want? Do I have enough? Yeah, to make it all happen. Yeah, and then longevity. I mean, oftentimes we don't think about that, but what's again we touched on a little bit, but. What's the purpose or timeline beyond that event stage? Okay, if the liquidity event happens this date, what then? Do they want to stay with the business? Do they not? Is there some kind of path to exit or right. you know, all those types of things? So think about all the things that we've discussed today so far and the many things <laughs> we've left out and think about how much time it would take to go through all those different options and prepare the plan and then start executing the plan. Right, takes a long time. It does take a long time. And I think to your point, you want to have, it's great to have a plan. As I always say, don't make your your lack of planning my crisis, my, my number one <laughs> with my kids um, back in the day. But uh, if, it's fine to have that plan, but it can be fluid too, right? Absolutely. I mean, things change, needs change, all that. Do you see that much as you go through uh, this process with with clients? Quite often, actually, the plan is very fluid. The point is that there is a plan, that they start somewhere. We're working with actually several clients right now. Each of the ones I'm thinking of, they are all family-owned businesses that had a a specific gifting succession plan laid out over a three or five-year period. But because the valuation of the company has changed in ways that they weren't previously anticipating, we have made uh, changes and kind of adapted that plan that will Uh best help everybody involved. So I do think it's important to have a plan, but also be be flexible with it. Absolutely. So that goes back to your point about the valuation. What's what's best practice? I mean, obviously, you want to do this not as it necessarily relates to some triggering event, but to benchmark and, and help plan. Do you do that every year, every other year? What what do you see as best practice for that? Many of our clients for best practice will do an annual update 
once okay. they have the initial valuation done, as you said, as you said, Doug, that's the that's the starting benchmark. Then to update it annually, it's a lot easier because okay. um, we're just dealing with one new year financial information. So from a time and cost perspective, that's okay. usually most advantageous for many of our clients. But yeah. we have other clients who will do do an update every two years. Um, sometimes they'll do the the valuation update based on their intended gifting schedule. Okay, and okay. then you know. Go from there. Go from there. Interesting. So, have you seen in terms of the the valuation uh, market? Obviously, it seems like multiples have been increasing here in in recent years. Do you see you see any trends there? Is that flattening a little bit, or we what what are you seeing with regard to that? They're still increasing. Okay, I'm not seeing too much flattening yet. And actually, I had a conversation recently where. Um, just a couple of days ago, where an investment banker saying that some logistics companies are going for multiples upwards of twenty, wow. which I hadn't have not That's heard. Insane. That's what I said. So yeah. I don't think just depends, it huh? just depends. It depends on the industry. Yeah. So and that's all part of the market and segment uh, value that, yes. that you you place on the company when yes. you go through that that process. So very cool. What if if you have maybe one or two key takeaways for a business owner. I don't, I don't know where to start. I just, I haven't, you know, I've been thinking about it, but I haven't done anything. Where, where do I start today? What do I pick up the phone? What do I do? Pick up the phone, send an email, probably start with your CPA. Um, Send an email and say, Hey, I want to start my succession planning, or I don't even know where to start. What's the first step? We'll make sure that their financials are in good, in good order, in good shape. And if they're not, coach them on on how to get them in better shape. Right. Have a valuation done if they haven't yet. And then from that point, once we have the valuation done, then we can really start having a discussion, a meaningful discussion about what their actual exit options are. Because not all options are available to every business owner. Yeah. So then I think that gets them started down the path of, okay, now these three options are are my best three and, and what do they look like? And then how do we start? you know, making one of them happen, what, okay. what needs to take place. That's awesome. So you kind of, from there, you assess, uh, you know, what makes most sense, what's feasible, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. And I think having the valuation of the company is, as you started off the podcast for so many business owners, their their business is their largest asset. Yeah. So how do you have a meaningful conversation with your financial planner, your wealth, you know, your wealth advisor, if you don't truly know the value of your largest right. assets. So that that really facilitates a lot of those conversations right from the get-go. Yeah, excellent point. Well, that's that's great insight. I know, Mary Beth, we could go on and on on this topic. Uh, it's something you're very passionate about, which is wonderful. And, you know, that that makes you a wonderful advocate for your clients. And and we appreciate that. And I'm sure we'll have you on again to, to <laughs> dig into this a little deeper. But uh, thank good. you. Thank you very much for your insight. Thank you for having me, Doug. If you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can subscribe to Unsuitable on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. 
The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 